0: We're going to do a fair amount of review tonight uh, because there's some content that we went through fairly quickly uh, last week. But in that, it'll come with a different perspective, at a different pace, at a different viewpoint. And the reason is this, is tonight's topic is, of all the topics we teach here, probably the most important because it's going to confront your flesh. It's going to confront you where you are. And the topic, of course, as I mentioned last week, is submission. And uh, so just a quick show of hands, who's excited about that topic? Yeah, if, if the four of you who understand the importance of it, the rest, well, maybe I'll ask again at the end of the night. We'll see how well we do. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of, of review here. So in, this, in the next slide, um, what I told you in the first class was that the purpose of this course is really because God created us. Uh, he built us, he made us, he designed us, and he purposed us for a good work. He's got a job for each one of us to do. And the way he equipped us to do the work on the earth here is that we do it with him. So we have to do the purpose, do the work that he created us for us to do in conjunction with Christ. And we have to do it in conjunction with each other. And as we learn how to do that, is that the first slide or the second? Well, what's the second slide? Okay, let's talk about this one first. As we learn how to do our work together, we will be united as one. I heard an ad this week on the radio, it says something about what ignites us excites us and what excites us unites us. And I thought, that's pretty rich. What do we get excited about? And if you notice, people get excited about the Patriots, you know, after the game, you know, who talks about what was the score and who got hurt and what's going to happen next week and... And uh, the three and O dolphins are coming to... Obviously, I'm one of those guys. (laughs) So (laughs) some of us unite around something that excites us like that. Other people get united around political causes or social injustices and things like this. And they get passionate and they pull together. And what happens is, is a cause forms around it and they become united in that cause. Well, our job in the church is to get excited about and united about our destiny, which is ultimately to be raised up with Christ together in the air to, to, to be in glory with Him forever and ever. That's our destiny. And our purpose is really not just to go ourselves, but to bring as many people as we can with us. And those, uh, that's our job on the, on the earth. So both of those things should ignite our heart with passion and excite us to come together to learn how to do it and to work together to do it in one accord. And as we get it done, then our theme, of course, we will be uh, going up to uh, heaven together. What's the previous slide? The previous slide talks about our purpose, which is to walk under authority, meaning there's authority over you. And then as you get promoted, you will walk in authority. Uh, That means you'll have people under you as well as always being someone over you. And as you learn how to walk under authority and in authority, we can fulfill God's call on our lives, both individually, corporately as faith Christian center, and universally as the body of Christ. And uh, this is so vital that we learn how to carry out the purpose that God has given us to do. All right. So uh, let's talk about the dynamics in review. The next slide or the next two. There we go. So, these are the authority dynamics. Again, this is a quick review, but authority always comes from a source. Uh, It's given to a receiver or a delegated authority, one who receives that. Not only is authority delegated, but first and always first is a responsibility. So, the responsibility is delegated, and the authority appropriate to carry out the responsibility is delegated to a receiver, and it's never to, to benefit the receiver, but it's always for a purpose which will benefit somebody else. So we have the beneficiary. The beneficiary is the one who ultimately is the one who, uh, well, obviously benefits from the work that's being done. So those are the parties, and then we see the flow coming from the source to the receiver, and last week we talked about the concept of accountability. So uh, in various situations, you'll find yourself being held accountable. If you have a, a job, you'll be accountable to your boss to do the work that he or she has given you to do in the, work, in the, in the church, and depending on your function, you'll be accountable to carry out the work underneath the uh, director or the head that you report to. And of course, God's going to hold us accountable he's going to ask us individually, did you do the work that you were created to do? I didn't ask you, did you do the work that uh, Martin Luther King was called to do or Billy Graham or did you do the work of Mother Teresa? I asked, did you do the work that you were created to do? And that work may be very simple. That may be as simple as, I want you to be a steward over the, over the building called the church. Come and, and, and clean and, and, and be a steward over this, this body, uh, over this building. It's as simple as that, or it could be as grand as, as ministering to hundreds of thousands, like a Reinhardt Bonnke. But no job is more important than the other job if you're doing the job that God gave you to do. So it's important to know what that job is. And only you and God can figure that out, although He will work with others to help you. So if you're curious, well, how do I find that place? How do I find my spot in the body of Christ? First thing you need to do is pray. God has given you His Holy Spirit to lead and guide you into all truth. You can plan out your steps, but God will order them. So He will show you the path to take. And if you earnestly desire to serve Him and to find a place that He will be uh, pleased with, you need to press into Him to find it. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So sometimes you have to step out in faith and start doing something. And when you do that, you will soon learn whether or not that step was the right step. And God is gracious to correct you if it's not. But one of the best ways you can tell if you're in the right place carrying out His purpose that He has for you is the weight. Is it burdensome? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't mean the work you have to do is going to be easy. I mean, look at the life of Paul or ask any pastor who's been in the role for more than a year. It's a challenging role. But is there a... Is there a, is there a Is he yoked with you? I guess is the right way to put it. Is he burdened together with you so that he can really push when you can no longer push? Does he carry you through the hard times? Is he motivating you? Are you willing to sacrifice to get it done? Those are the kinds of indications that say, yeah, I'm in the right spot. This is something that God has called me to do. And uh, when you find that spot, there's a a peace, there's a release, and you will find a grace and anointing to do it regardless of the day that you've had uh, or the place that you feel you are in in your own spiritual walk. So I encourage you to continue to press in and find that, and then you'll hear from others confirmation. I knew you were called to do that. You are such a blessing the way you serve it, the way you do the welcoming, you you smile, you're always greeting. Somebody somewhere will also affirm you, and God knows we need to hear that, Um, but Whether you hear it or not from people, you've got to have that peace from within that knows you're in the right spot. So find that place. and, And one of the keys to being able to walk in that is walking in and under authority and understanding how it works. So we'll go through more of that in the next detail. The next thing we talked about on the next slide is understanding that as a Christian, your authority comes from within. First and foremost, your spirit has been renewed. Remember how we talked about the unrenewed man, and the fact that he's separated from God. And therefore, he is led by his flesh, and he's led by his soul, his mind, his will, and emotions, and doesn't even know he has a spirit for the most part. And uh, so consequently, they have dominion in his life, and those things are at enmity with the way God wants you to work. So as a born-again Christian, because most of us here are born-again, we're already spirit-filled, and if you're not born-again, we'll give you that opportunity at the end of the evening But if you're born again, now your spirit has come alive. Now you have been renewed in your spirit. That's the one thing that has automatically and immediately and instantaneously changed. And now your spirit man, vitally connected to the spirit of God, you have that connection that was lost when Adam fell. And now you have the opportunity to hear God within your spirit. And you need to discipline your soul to stop listening to your body and start listening to your spirit. And as your soul drives your spirit... Your spirit sets your will. Your will initiates your body to carry out what it is he wants you to do here. It sounds easy, but it's something that as we renew our minds, we're renewing our souls, our minds daily to the will of God. As we renew our minds, it becomes easier and easier. It comes with practice. And the counter is also true. If you get lazy with it, if you slack off, If you go on vacation from your spiritual walk, it's like weeds in a garden. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to get your garden clean and start to get the good fruit to come up? It takes a long time, but leave it for a week and it's a mess again, right? You have to be disciplined to stay at it every day. But if you are, it becomes the correct nature for you. So stay at it and listen to your spirit, man, and that will help you carry out your work on the earth that's God's way of doing it if you cannot understand how to connect with God with your spirit then it's virtually impossible for you to do what he wants you to do because you won't be able to hear from him and you won't be able to know when to go and when not you ever think about when Lazarus the story of Lazarus most of you know the story Jesus is a close friend and he gets word that Lazarus is very sick and he understands that this sickness is unto death and Jesus wanted to go to him but he didn't. He tarried. Why? Because his spirit was connected with the spirit of the Father. And the Father said, wait. He may not have known any more than that. But he knew it wasn't time to go. And so when he did go, Lazarus ultimately died. Well, if he had gone earlier, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, said, if you had come earlier, you wouldn't have died. Well, Jesus wasn't moved by that. He was moved by the fact that they were so grieved that he died. And he wept. He was compassionate, just as we are. But he was disciplined to listen and wait for his father to give him the direction. And when his father said go, then he went. And then when his father said, raise him from the dead, so he did. And not only did he not, he not only raised him from the dead, but when he did, he said, this is, I pray this out loud so they know that this is coming from you, God. And he gave his father the glory in doing it. So he listened within as opposed to just reacting to the situation. We all have to learn how to listen from within, and that's where uh, it comes from. Next slide. So we continue with our, re- our review. Now, these are, these are new images or new illustrations of some of what I already talked about last week, but I want to make sure that you get it because at the end of tonight, I want you to see where we are as a church, where we fit in, the, in our role on the earth. And it's important to understand that because as we talk about submission, you're going to see that there's two places that we have to look. But the first thing, of course, as we talked about, and if you want to understand the perfect will of God, there's, there's three places to look. One, in the Garden of Eden before the fall. That's where we see God's perfect will being carried out before the fall. The second one is in the life of Jesus because Jesus carried out the Father's will perfectly. And third is in the book of Revelation where you see the future where God's will will once again be carried out the way he wants it to be carried out. So it's great insight to understand the heartbeat of God just by studying and understanding these three situations. So here we see the garden before the fall of man. And we see that God, is, of course, has over authority over all. I mean, he made everything, right? He created you. He created me. He created the earth, the sky, the sea, everything. As the creator, he has authority over all. You see in the word authority, the same root word of author comes from the same thing. As I always say, God can take his toys and go home anytime he wants to. So we have to remember who he is. You know, sometimes we use the word God and so casually, OMG, And we don't even realize we're doing it. But we're talking about the creator of everything. We're talking about God here. And God, in his sovereignty, he said, all right, I've created all these galaxies with all these planets and I've created these life forms on the earth and I've decided, or we've decided, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, to put man on the earth and give him a responsibility on the earth. He has to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and he has to subdue it. And so we're going to give him responsibility over the whole earth, and therefore we're going to give him authority over the whole earth. So he made Adam, he drew Eve out of Adam, and he put them in the garden, and in chapter two it says, he put them there to tend it and to keep it. Well, those are kind of strange words to me, tend and keep, what does that mean? Well, for those of you who are sports fans, uh, if you think about the one who stands in front of the net, what is he or she called? A goalie, right? You hear goalie, that's kind of slang for a goal keeper or a goal tender. So man was put in the Garden of Eden to keep or to tend, in other words, to keep out anything that shouldn't be going in. I had the privilege, or I shouldn't say the privilege, I hated it. But in junior high, uh, I started playing soccer um, because I wasn't mean enough to play football or strong enough. And and so, but I happened to enjoy soccer, but it was just coming alive in in our town back in the day. And uh, so I tried out in junior high for the local town league. Of course, everyone gets to play. But I was also a foot taller than everyone else at that time. So they looked at me and they looked at everyone else, and as much as I wanted to run around the field and score goals, they said, "You go stand and goal." I'm like, "Oh man, I don't really want to do that. But what I fortunately I had a coach who, who instructed me well, and he said, "Look, you see this painted box? That's yours." He said, any activity, I don't care if it's your teammate, the other teammate, the ball, you own that box. And whatever happens inside that box, you are ferocious about making sure it's what needs to happen so that the ball doesn't ever get in that net. If you have too many of your defenders in one place, you need to spread them out, you direct them. If you have too many of the other side players coming in, you need to figure out how to box them out. If the ball is coming down on a fast break, you need to cut off that angle so that the ball can't get. He said, you are tenacious, not only about the net behind you, but this box within And that's what God was saying to Adam and Eve. You need to be tenacious about the Garden of Eden. You cannot let anything in that shouldn't be in here, and you need to take care of it. Now, it seems odd that in this paradise of creation that they would have to subdue it from anything. But as we told you last week, at some point, God created the angels, and at some point, a third of the angels, led by Satan, rebelled against God, and he put them on the earth as a prison. So what we know in hindsight is that what Adam and Eve were told to do was keep Satan and his cohorts out of any effectiveness on this earth. They're here as a prison until their judgment time should come. So what has happened, we know. Next slide. Satan comes and he tempts Eve and uh, Adam was with her and Adam makes that choice. I don't want to go into all the details again. But you can see the difference in, I don't know, if you go back to the last slide... Look at the picture of Adam and Eve and paradise and the animals and everything's lovey-dovey and wonderful and peaceful and the water comes up and waters the ground and everything's beautiful. Look at the next picture. Now suddenly they're hiding. They're hiding from God. Previously they were naked and unashamed. Now they're afraid and they cover themselves with fig leaves. Why? What's happened? Well, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they rejected the command of god they chose to submit to the temptation of the devil and he who you are overcome by he who you choose to obey that one slave you are romans six sixteen. so consequently by making that simple choice it seems pretty benign to us because it's the world we grow up in but to them this was a huge deal They chose to disobey the Father and obey the temptation of Satan. And several things happened in this. As you can see from the yellow line, I tried to depict the fact that man now is uh, separated from God. He's separated from the source of life. And as a consequence of being separated from that source of life, he's going to die. And in Hebrew it says, in dying he will die. So being separated spiritually, now his flesh will die. And we know that man in the early days of Genesis lived 900 years, 800, 600 years. Now we make it, you know, if we make it to 60, we rejoice. Uh, so you can see the effects over the millennial of, of sin, on our lives it's a bad thing and you hear you read in in Romans chapter 8 he talks about all of creation groaning waiting for the revealing of the sons of God to be delivered from the bondage that the earth has been put into as a result of this decision so it's separated from God the second uh, catastrophic thing is that now the authority over all the earth that was given to man is now in the hands of satan So all of that authority over all the earth, that God's will is that he should delegate to man. Now Satan has tricked man into giving it to him. But the responsibility stays with man. So now we have the responsibility on the earth to be fruitful and multiply and fulfill it and to subdue it, but we no longer have the ability because we lost the authority. And now it's under the will and the sway of the wicked one, of the the prince of the world, as Jesus called him at one point. So that's the catastrophic part of the fall. It was disastrous. It was catastrophic. And uh, fortunately, God knew it. It's kind of odd to think about, but when we talk about submission, God delegated his authority to man and the responsibility, and then he submitted to the choice that man made. You think, well, where was God in that? He must not have been there, right? No, God is everywhere. He's... Omnipresent—that's the word. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So God must have been there, but because He said, "Let," because He said, "Let man have dominion over the earth and have the responsibility," he, that is how it was. So it was. He said it, and then whatever Adam said as he named the animals, it was so. And so when Adam chose to eat. Whatever Adam did, it became so. And even though God was there and God was grieved, of course God's not bound by time. He knew it happened. So nonetheless, it happened, and God did not intervene. Now He has to uh, step into Plan B, which He prophesied again in Genesis. Another story. Okay, so that's the story of the fall. Next slide. Now, what happens? Over the hundreds of years, I guess the centuries, we had, you know, the story of, of Abraham and Moses and the judges and the prophets and the kings and, and on we go until the fullness of time has come. And at the fullness of time, God now sends his son. He sends his son in the form of a man. Why? Because man would have responsibility over the earth, right? So because God said man would have responsibility and therefore authority, now Jesus strips himself of all of his godly attributes and comes down in the form of a man and subjects himself to the world system. And he's got a responsibility, which is essentially to destroy the works of the devil. The responsibility of Jesus on the earth is to be fruitful and multiply. That is to make more... He's the firstborn among many brethren. So he's to make more of brethren like himself who would be subject to the Father, right? More heirs to the kingdom of God. That's his job. The other part of his responsibility is he has to fulfill the law because when he fulfills the law, uh, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, when he fulfills all of the law, now the law is satisfied and now God can pay our price on him without him having any part in it. I don't think I said that quite right. But the point I want to make, and I position Jesus' picture specifically in this spot, because I want you to understand that when Jesus was put on the earth, not only was he fully submitted to, fully connected to, and only did what he heard his father say to do, but he also had to come and walk in the world's system. He had to be submitted to his natural mother and his, say, stepfather, Joseph, He had to obey his parents growing up. He had to be submitted to paying the temple tax. He had to be submitted to the world system, whether or not it was, in his mind, correct or not. He had to learn how to live in the system in which man was currently living in. That's not to say he ever submitted to Satan. Don't get me wrong. He only did what his father said to do. Thank God for that. But my point is that he had to walk as man walked. He had to come in and understand how to be submitted to the current system so that he could connect with the fallen man who was under that system and show them a better way. He had to be fully submitted. And so he was submitted fully and wholly to God. Now, how do I know that Jesus submitted to the laws of the land? Well, the examples I just gave you, but also some of the scripture that we read previously, and we'll probably read some more tonight, talks about how we should be submitted to every ordinance of man, how we should be stepping under and doing as if unto God all the things that we are obligated to do under the laws that that man has created. Um, And it's important to know that if Jesus asked us to do it and now we are part of his body, he also did it when he lived here. He wouldn't ask us to do anything he did not do himself. So he learned how to walk in the world system but not be of the world. You've heard that expression. Being in the world but not of the world. What do I mean by that? He subjected himself to the, to, the, to the system of the world, but he did not get drawn off by the temptations of the world. He did not get pulled away by the pleasures, by the fame, by the, by the parades of people waving palm leaves at him. Um, he followed wholly and simply what his father told him to do, and yet he still figured out how to do it the world's way. And his mission, his purpose, his What he focused on was saving the lost and for bringing us into the glory of God. That was why he did what he did and why he was able to put aside the temptations that he faced. He was tempted in all ways as we are. Next slide. Okay, now look at the picture of Jesus there. Go back to the previous slide if you would. Look at this. So now we have in this slide Jesus coming in the form of a man and walking in the world system. In the next slide, now he's the risen Christ. We also need to understand who Christ is. When we say, in Jesus' name, we're talking about this Christ, this Jesus the raised Christ, the one who's glorious, the one whose tongue is sharp as a two-edged sword, whose eyes are like fire, whose clothes glow with, with with a brightness that you fall down dead when you confront him. This is the Jesus in whose name we walk in. He is seated now at the right hand of the Father. So as as I face you, that would be his. God's right. I don't know if God has right hands and left hands, but you understand the idea. (laughs) He's seated there at the right hand of God, and he has poured out his Holy Spirit onto the church. You might recognize that picture. (laughs) That is the church. That's, of course, a microcosm of the church at large. That's our church. That's on our homepage. So he's poured out his Holy Spirit on those who are redeemed, those who have agreed that Jesus has died on the cross, those who confess that he's been raised from the dead, and those who confess that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So in the previous slide, we talked about how Jesus was fully and wholly submitted to his Father, And uh, while he walked in and around the earth system, it had no hold on him because he stayed submitted to his Father. Now, in this slide, we are his body on the earth, and he is seated at the right hand of God. And now we are to be wholly and fully and completely submitted to Jesus. He is the head of the church. We're his body on the earth. So we need to learn how to be led by him and how to obey him and how to do only those things that he told us to do. Now, one of the things that he told us to do was obey the law of the land, submit to every ordinance of man. He told us to learn how to cooperate with the world system in a way that wasn't sinful, that wasn't wrong, but a way that glorified him. What did Jesus say? He, or I guess the epistles say, um, you, by your good works, you will glorify God. Your good works include submitting to or obeying to the work of the Father. Uh, and, the, and the direction of the, of the Lord Jesus through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So our job, as you see the, the way I've positioned the picture of the church, is that we are now no longer separated from God. Amen. We are no longer separated from God. God and his church, God and those who believe in Christ, God who those who confess him as Lord and obey him, we are vitally connected, our spirit to his spirit. We have the ability now to hear him and be led by him, both individually and corporately as his body. So we have access to God. We can now come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need and not be afraid or ashamed. That's what his blood did for us. It purged us of our sins. It took him as far as the east is from the west away from us and now we have the right, the privilege and the joy to come into his presence with singing and into his courts with thanksgiving. It is a an honor to be able to worship Him wholeheartedly, holding nothing back. We should have the pews, the church seats filled anytime it's an opportunity to come and worship God. You can worship God in your prayer closet. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God in your, in your shower. Anywhere you want. You and God are one. But there's something really special. When you bring your worship, I bring mine, he brings his, and she brings hers. And we come together and we worship Him in one accord. Woo! There's a sweet fragrance, a sweet presence of God in that worship experience. And God can clean out any struggles that you have. He can heal any sickness that you have. He can restore any strength that you're lacking. He can put vision back into your heart. And He can drive you to a place that you never thought you would go because you spend time corporately with us in worship. It's an exciting time. So God's flow of authority is that it started with Adam. Adam blew it. Satan got the authority, so he still has the authority over the earth today. But there's another line, a more pure line of authority, which is the church, the church, and by definition in my mind, uh, the church is not faith Christian center, or the church is not someone who says I'm a Christian or I'm not, or I'm Catholic or I'm not. The church are those who are submitted to the lordship of Christ. That's the church. So you can find church in any denomination you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what tag you put on it. The question is, are you submitted to him? Is he your Lord? If he's your Lord, you will do what he said. And if you do what he said, he said, if you keep my commandments, then you are my friend. Right? We sing that song, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God because I keep his commands. It doesn't flow that well, does it? And nobody wants to say that part. They just want to say I'm his friend. Well, do you keep his commandments? Do you do what he said to do and this is his commandment that you love one another? Are you obedient to him? Do you obey him? Being a Christian is so much more than your salvation experience. Being a Christian is not a a one-time event. I came to the altar, I confessed, and therefore I'm good. That's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is saying that Jesus is Lord and learning to submit to the headship of of Christ. And because there's one Lord, one God, one Spirit, one baptism, we all are born into that. And collectively, then, as we learn to follow Him, we will not have the division and strife that you see in the church today. It's interesting that if you look at this picture here, let's say this section over here is, is, the, unrede- is the unredeemed. No, no offense, but you guys haven't met Christ. How submitted do you think they are to the authorities on the earth? Not so much, probably, right? Aren't they people you remember when you were unredeemed? You were your own person. If a, if a, if a law came up that you didn't like, you didn't do it. You know, I don't know, some of these laws are annoying, right? I mean, what is the one recently? Well, if your windshield wipers are on, your lights have to be on. Well, if you have a car, your lights don't automatically come on. Uh, and I don't know if that's in Rhode Island, but it's something Massachusetts. You can get a ticket for driving during the day without your lights on if you your windshield wipers are on. Now, because it's the law of the land, because we're redeemed, we understand the importance of submitting the law, we will turn on our lights. But we might have a little bit of an attitude toward that, right? I mean, how obnoxious is that? <laughs> Don't have to pick on Susie again, but, you know, we had to get her a car. She had to buy a car for herself. The one she was driving was my old Nissan. Finally, uh, you know, got to the place where it was a little bit unreliable. And uh, she was driving to work and to school. And Anyway, she needed something more reliable. And it was time for her to step out, step up, grow up, and buy it for herself. Now Of course, we helped her with all that. But, but then she bought a car, and, and everything was fine. And after she got over the shock, and, oh, i got to pay a monthly note and all that. And now this is a 22-year-old, right, just finished school. Money is like, you know, $5 is precious, right? <laughs> then we get this letter in the mail, I don't know, a month later, and it's something from the local town that's called Excise Bill. $40. She's like, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to pay that thing. She throws it off and stuff. You know, if I have to pay that, I'm going to turn my car back in. She <laughs> it was a shock to her. And, of course, $40. dollars like, i just pay it. Don't worry about like, it. Know. And she was adamant for a while. She, she has that way about her. Love her, love her. Um, but the point is this. She didn't have a submissive attitude toward the law of the land. She was just, she was, you know, enraged for a while <laughs> until she calmed down and realized she would have to pay it. And even if you obey the law and pay the excise bill, if you are, you know, extremely outraged by it, you don't have a submissive heart. You're not submitting to that law. And we're going to talk more about that as we go. So that section over here is unredeemed. Let's say this section represents uh, the church that's in the world today and this group over here is the sold-out ones. These ones, when you, when you look at this side, you see nothing but that Holy Spirit picture. I mean, they are full of the Holy Spirit. Shekinah glory is shining on them. My wife is sitting over here. <laughs> So so this is the church that's glorious. When they speak, stuff happens. When they speak, somebody pays attention. But what I I don't want you to get the impression of is that this group in the middle here where sometimes you listen to God and sometimes you follow the will of the world. That's not what I'm trying to depict here. What I'm trying to depict here is that you're always submitted to God, always following His leading, and part of His leading is to obey the law of the land. And to submit to those in authority over you, whether or not they're right or wrong, you need to submit to them. So I'm not saying that you're half in the world and half in the Lord. Jesus said you can't serve the Lord and mammon. You can't serve God and the world system. You can't be halfway and halfway. And it's interesting that this section here is the largest section. I'm convinced that the church in America today is more about half in the Lord and half in the world Sometimes when it's convenient, I'll follow the Lord's leading. But when I don't agree or it's not convenient or it's more desirable, I'll follow the world's ways. And I'm not talking about gross sin or negligence or or homicide or something strange. I'm talking about your daily walk. Now, I've had the privilege to travel for work, but I haven't been to many churches. I've been here, as I mentioned, for, you know, 20 some years. So I don't I can't speak like an uh, evangelist or like Tony Cook who was here can speak. I can't say I've been to a lot of churches. But what I can say is what I observe. And that is that when Jesus was fully submitted to his Father, everyone marveled when he spoke because he spoke as one with authority. They recognized that voice was different. And when he walked on the earth, he walked with a power and a disposition that even when they wanted to stone him because he seemed to violate the religious rules, he could walk right through him because it wasn't his time yet. He had a power and authority about him that set him apart. His church on the earth today t- should have that same voice. We should have that same power and that same authority, that same anointing. It's there for us. But there's one more thing that we have to do, and that is we have to crucify our own flesh. He crucified his flesh for us. But if Jesus is going to be your Lord, you have to crucify your flesh for Him. And again, it's not a once-and-done event. Unfortunately, our body is not the renewed one that we're going to get. I mean, that's good news in the long haul. But for right now, our body is a enmity with the will of God. Our body is a stumbling block to us. It is the vessel by which sin can enter, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And so we have to daily take our flesh and pin it to the cross, the cross of Christ, so that we say, no, body, you don't have dominion over me today. It is my spirit who's leading me today. And as we do that, and as we hear his voice louder and louder and louder, we will begin to obey more and more and more. And the voice of the Lord will be heard right out of Seekonk, right here in these, from these walls, as we go out and do his will. It doesn't just happen in here. In fact, it happens more often out there. It's vital that we understand where I'm positioning the church here. We are fully submitted to and under the headship of Christ, and we are following his leading wholeheartedly, but we have to understand how to operate on the earth today. So, if I don't get going, we won't get there. Okay, so what's on the next slide? Oh, this is our destiny. Glory to God. So when we have, after we have done the will of God, then the promise will come, and that is Christ will come. And he will, when the trumpet sounds, he will take us up in the clouds with him in the air, and we will be with him in heaven. Look, we'll be rolled up with him, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all in one. And redeemed man will come with us, all of those who we've reached out to and who have accepted the price that Christ paid for their lives. And look, there's no more authority over the earth, and look at where Satan's positioned. He is waiting for his lake of fire. That's our destiny. That's where we're going. You know, the way of the world, part of the problem we have is that on the earth today, there's so many things bombarding us, even in the work of the Lord, that we lose sight of this, where we're going. Why it is that it's important that somebody needs to be born again because they can be partakers of this with us for eternity. It's It's a huge thing. But we live still, because of our old nature, we still live day to day. We still live, oh, I'm hungry, oh, I'm tired, oh, I need, I need this, I need that, gimme, gimme. But we need to be looking there and keeping our eyes focused on there. And uh, so, so he, so let's see, where are we in my notes? I'm way off target here okay so uh, if you go back to the previous slide this is our destiny but in the previous slide this is what we'll talk about this position for the rest of the night which is essentially this that the church are those who are submitted to God if Jesus had his power and his authority because he was fully submitted to the Father we likewise would be of the same mind as him and be fully submitted to the Lord so let's start to talk about submission all right I'm going to get a drink of water. This is key. This is vital. Next slide. Definitions. This is out of Merriam-Webster's, obviously. Um, And it talks about submission is submitting to uh, or yielding to the governance or authority. It's to yield oneself. You know when you come onto an on-ramp on the highway and there's that triangle sign that's it's a yield sign? It's your job to give way to the oncoming traffic. You choose to yield to that big semi that's coming up the right lane because if you don't, it could be dangerous for both of you. You make that choice to yield to the authority of that truck coming up and the sign that says you are to yield, not the other. So you're in submission. You are to yield yourself to authority or the will of another Submission is not a, a negative word. It's not a bad word. It's not talking about slavery. We're not talking about forced obedience. That's not what, what submission is. It's not surrendering a total control of yourself. That's not what submission is. That's not the way God intended it to be. It's not allowing someone to take over your will like, like hypnosis. I'm not trying to, to brainwash you into doing everything Pastor John says and nothing else. That, by the way, is a real misuse of submission and authority. And it has come up from time to time in the name of Jesus, but it obviously it wasn't of him. We're not talking about that. It's also not a sign that the authority over you is better than you or more important than you or has more over you than, than, than you are. It doesn't make you less than anyone. It's simply choosing to yield to or submit to the authority of another. Uh, so next slide. This is the uh, etymology of the next slide. Uh, the, uh, sometimes I like to see, well, what's the origin of this word? Well, it comes from Old English, "submitting" from Latin, submittere, lower, submit. So. Bottom line is this, <laughs> which is really two pieces of the word sub, which is under, right? Submarine is under the water, right? Submit is under, and mit, which is to put or send. So when you are submitting, you are putting or sending yourself under the authority of another. That's all not making yourself less, not making yourself a slave. You're simply serving, you're getting under the authority of another. It's a fairly simple word, and it's a good word. It's a word we need to walk in. Next slide. Okay, so I'm going to have several points here. We'll talk about submission and what it is, the nature of submission, what it is. It's, uh, it's yielding to, the, to another, as I mentioned. Setting aside your own will and yielding to the authority of someone else at your workplace, who is it that's in authority over you? The boss. The boss. Your boss, right? Your boss is the authority over you at work. So when you agree to take a job, you are choosing to submit yourself to the authority of your boss. Does that make sense? Yeah. And therefore, if they're going to pay you for a day's due or for a day's work, you need to submit yourself to the direction and the leading of uh, what your boss tells you to do. You're setting yourself aside. You know, if you want to come in and work and take a break uh, three times every hour and an hour for lunch, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Why can't you do that? Well, because your boss said, no, you're allowed one break. Oh, well, then I have to submit to that. And you want to do it with a hard attitude. You don't want to grumble about it. You want to do it with a hard attitude. Okay, I, 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 as tired as I am, I'll, I'll press on, boss, because that's what you said. In your church... You know the truth of the, the the way we should choose a church is that God should plant you here. You should follow the leading of the spirit to the church that he wants you to grow in. Where are it's God who builds his church and he needs you in the church in which he intended you to be at and he needs you to start working in that role that he has for you. I love the image of the of the New England chapel you know, built out of the field stones and every rock upon another and no rock's the same size and there's different colors and different shapes and somehow when it all comes together you have this beautiful structure that has been there for 200 years. That's like us. Different colors, different shapes, different sizes. We hold one another up. We support one another from the sides. Each of us has a role to play and when we do, we look like a church. We need to submit to one another in the church and God should plant you in that spot, in that foundation or in the walls or the ceiling, wherever you belong to take your place in the church. That's your, that's your purpose. So that's how you should do it. Many of us didn't know about that. We chose a church because we liked the music, we liked the location, love the blue seats. They're awesome. Or maybe it's, you know, (laughs) whatever it was that got you here, uh, you decided, okay, I'm going to come here. Maybe it's where your friends come. Whatever it is, God knows There's no sin in that at all. But what's important is where you get planted is where God wants you. But when you make that decision to serve in a church, now you are choosing to submit to the authority of the pastor. He becomes the authority over you. And you need to submit to him or her with a willing heart, with a great attitude, uh, and do what it is that they told you to do. When you're on the road, you submit to the rules of the road, right? Right? So you don't drive down the left-hand side of the street when you're supposed to drive on the right, even if you were from Ireland, for example. I mean, you know, so there they drive on the other side. You, you have to submit to the laws of the land that you're in. And uh, so you need to submit to those. So it's, it's simply yielding to the authority of another. Next point. Submission is given freely. It's not something that can be taken of you. Submission is a hard attitude. Heart Heart. Hot. It's a hot attitude. <laughs> so, maybe more. Yeah, so more you got that. Okay, so <laughs> submission is a hot attitude. It's an attitude. That, it's something that you that no one can take away from you, no matter what circumstance you're in. Was it Bonhoeffer, Friedrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, the... the, the person in jail during the Nazis, I think it was him, and and nobody could take his will. Nobody could take his heart for the Lord. And it's something that no matter how coerced you are, you still have the ability to choose, and God will strengthen you to make that choice in the hard days. But it's not something anyone can take. from It's something you give freely, and that differentiates it from slavery, for example. But once you make that choice, your submission is absolute. You need to serve under the one in which you've chosen to serve under. So if you chose your job, where to work, then you need to be submissive there. If you chose this church, be submissive to Pastor John. Uh, okay, next slide. Submission is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart. It comes out of your heart. It's a... It's, um, it's something that it's, it's reflected in how you operate. As I mentioned in the example of Susie, you know, blowing up at this, this excise charge that comes, which happens to be the law of the land. Well, I can understand an, an initial reaction of what? But then after that, it's like, okay, well, if it's the law, I've got to figure out how to pay it. You know, I'll go collect cans or whatever I have to do. So, <laughs> so it's important to understand that this is your heart. You recognize the authority. And that's what I said on the very first night that we were together. You can find authority anywhere and have a hard attitude to obey it. Okay, I know the cart carriage is, you know, three rows over, but take your cart there. It would be good for your heart, (laughs) you know, a little extra exercise. Uh, So so go do it. Um, Example. So you take a job and you start to work there and your boss has trained you to do the job. And you are merrily going about your way, doing the job, and after some time on the job, you recognize there's a whole lot simpler way to get this job done. Wow, you know, if I changed the way I was trained and do this, this, and this, I could get it done a whole lot better. And being the good steward that you are and the good employee, you go to your boss and say, hey, ma'am, you know, I've been looking at this for the last couple months and now all of a sudden I realize I can do this better. I can be more efficient. I can save the company money. But I need to change this, this, and this. And then the boss just looks at you and she shakes her head and said, no. And you say, well, why not? We've always done it that way. Isn't that frustrating? Now the unrenewed person is going to go to all of his peers or her peers and start talking about what a dummy their boss is. Start yakking. That's not submissive, right? A submissive heart is. I understand you're the boss. So I'm happy to do it. However you want me to do it, and I just wanted to make sure you were aware of these other ideas in case you had some ideas. But you're the boss, and I'm happy to do it. I'm happy. I'm happy. Happy to do it. And don't lie. <laughs> Be happy. <laughs> Be happy about it. It may feel like rejection for a minute, but you know what? The boss is the boss. So you need to have that hard attitude. And, uh, and because it was your choice to serve under that employer and your boss has been put over you and uh, you made that choice freely, so um, you need to submit to the way your boss uh, has asked you to do it. Now, I'm not saying don't ask the question. Remember the first class, the bumper sticker? Question authority? If you've got a good idea, most bosses love that. It says initiative, it says creativity, it shows potential for growth. Ideas are good, but what is your motive? Hey, jerk face, you've been doing this the wrong way for 20 years. I can't believe it. You know, are you really trying to make your boss... Or go to your boss's boss... You know what she said to me? She said they've always done it that way. Would you know how much my I calculated it. $400 million this company has wasted because you, that's not the submissive attitude. That could get you in trouble. But it's definitely not God's way. So you need to understand that you need to submit. Now, again, it's good to ask questions, take initiative, and approach the authority with ideas, suggestions, recommendations. But when the boss says nope, nope is nope. Maybe you bring it up again in six months, but not as a nag, just as a reminder. Or maybe there's some other ideas. So don't let it quilt your system, for your uh, your desire for creativity and improvement. But when no is no, no is no. And because I said so, should be good enough, even with your boss, even though that's not your parent. Hard to swallow, I know, but it's important to do that. Next slide. This is probably the toughest one. Submission does not depend on whether the authority is right or wrong. Anybody have a problem with that? Show of hands, who doesn't like that one? Okay, there's a few honest folk. Alright, I'm going to fix you up in a few minutes. I understand why you don't like it. For one, by itself, on its own, it doesn't really make sense. But when I finish the definitions out, uh, you, will, um, you will understand better. Um, but... If you only do it the way you want, you're not submitting to or setting yourself under the authority uh, of the other. So even if your idea for the new job is more creative, is more uh, efficient, is better, maybe it's even safer, um, if, the job, if the boss says no, you, they're wrong, right? You're right, because your idea is better and you've proved it, you've shown it three different ways, PowerPoint slides, whatever works for you. Um, but at the end of the day, even though your idea is better than theirs, they are still the boss. It doesn't matter who is right. It doesn't matter. You need to recognize the authority and submit to it. And, uh, and uh, understand that where you are in that role. If you demand your way, you are placing yourselves as the highest authority. Let me ask you this question before we go to that next point. How many of you... Show of hands. Think about this before you raise your hand because I know it will take some time to contemplate. How many of you are always right? Just take your time. I know it's, you have to think about, well, maybe, maybe there's this one time. All of us have opportunity to fail and all of us do. All of us can be wrong. Why is it that we expect our boss or anyone in authority over us, our pastor or anyone, why do we expect them to be right all the time? It's kind of unfair, isn't it? Yeah. So we need to understand that they have a responsibility to carry out. Try to put your feet into their shoes. What is their bigger responsibility and how does your piece of it fit in there? And then carry out your responsibilities as if unto God. Even if you don't like your boss, do it as unto God. That will get you out of the flesh and focused on the Spirit and then you will be promoted ultimately because your work will be so extraordinary. Let me give you an example. Well, let's go to the next point. Uh, if, uh, If we only submit when we think the authority over us is right, then we place ourselves as the higher authority. Remember how we emphasize the flow of authority, the source, the receiver? Well, when you only choose to submit when you think they're right, suddenly you are acting like their boss. Yep, that's a good idea, boss. I'll do that. Nope, that's not a good idea, boss. I won't do that. Well, who's the boss then? You're the boss. Not really, but you think you are. So it's important that we submit. Otherwise, we put ourselves in a place of higher authority. And then there's conflict. Have you ever noticed there's strife with your boss when you get a little bit too edgy with them? Well, rightfully so. You shouldn't be edgy. There's conflict because you're in the wrong place. You are starting to tell him or her how to do their job. As nice as you are. That can be wrong. If I ask my child, let's say when they're young, and I want them to clean their room, and I've already trained them on how to clean their room to a certain standard, and then I go in, and time after time after time, they, all they do is put the clothes under the bed. Is that submission? It's not even obedience, right? They are placing themselves above your authority. Now I'm not going to do it your way, Dad. I'm going to do it my way. Why? Because it's easier and I'm lazy, and I don't mind pulling the clothes out from under the bed to put them on because they're wrinkly, that's cool today. So (laughs) all kinds of reasons and excuses, but at the end of the day, by not obeying, by not submitting, they are now placing themselves uh, as a higher authority above us. Next point. Accountability for being right or wrong for those in authority is not to those under the authority, but to those over it. So if, let's use church. If you find that your pastor is doing something that you don't agree with, in your mind they're doing it wrong. I'm not talking about gross sin or something. I'm just talking about, you know, let's say you think that praise and worship should come after the message. And and therefore they're doing it wrong. You think they should be doing it that way. Well, if you look at the Bible, there wasn't any praise and worship before they prayed. right? They just gathered by the river and prayed. That's scriptural. Um, that's Bible, Pastor. You're wrong. Right? So, I mean, you could come up with all kinds of crazy things. I'm just making this up on the fly. But the bottom line is, if you think uh, they are wrong, it's not your job to correct them. It's not my child's job to say, no, Dad, you're wrong about what it takes to clean a room. Can you imagine? slap you upside the head, you get that kind of <laughs> attitude, right? <laughs> no, it's not your job to correct them. The, the accountability is back up. Remember the flow? The responsibility comes down. The accountability is back to the source. Pastor John is accountable to the head of the church, Christ. He's not going to listen to you. I mean, it's not to say he won't listen. He, doesn't, he, he cares about your opinion. He, he doesn't mind hearing from you. But it, when it comes to choosing between your idea and what God said, we want him to follow God. No offense, but we want him to follow God. Right? So he's not going to be accountable to you. And so when we try to correct those in authority over us, we are, again, stepping out of bounds when it comes to submission. All right. Let me clean you up with this, uh, this idea of right or wrong thing. Next slide. Next one. There it is. Submission is an attitude of the heart, and obedience is a matter of conduct. Submission is an attitude of a heart, and it's absolute Your understanding now of authority is that all authority ultimately came from God. And therefore, I need to recognize that, that this is part of the tools to carry out the work of the kingdom. And therefore, I need to submit to wherever authority is. I need a hard attitude to recognize you are the authority. Whether or not I like you or not, whether or not I agree with your policies or not, or your tweets or not, I will be submissive in my heart toward the authority that abides in you. On the other hand, obedience is a matter of conduct. It's action. And it's relative. So if the one in authority over you is wrong, but they aren't asking you to do anything that violates the command of God, then you should do it. Even if there's a better way. Now... It's relative because if they are asking you to do something that violates the command of God, let's say your boss comes and says, hey, fill out this expense report, Gordon, but, but I want you to put an extra $300 under travel and entertainment. Well, I don't have a receipt for that. What's that for? Don't worry about it. Just do it. Well, eventually you catch you into the fact that he's embezzling, stealing money from the company. And what that puts you in is a position of lying on your expense report and stealing from the company. Lying and stealing are two of the top 10, right? The big commands right? So in that case, the one in authority over you is asking you to violate a command of God. It's a direct violation. And in that case, your heart attitude is still absolute. He's wrong or she's wrong. But your attitude of submission is, look, you're the boss. I understand you have authority over me. I've always tried to do what you've asked me to do. However, in this case, I have a, a, a moral obligation, a spiritual obligation my Lord not to steal and to not to lie. I can't do what you've asked me to do. Still submitted, but not obedient. So obedience is relative. It's, uh, you think about the, the three Hebrew children who were asked to bow down to the statue, right? And instead of bowing down, they said, no, we, we know that's against a violation of one of the big commands. You will not have any idols, worship any idols. And so they said, king, oh king, oh king, we recognize you king. But in this situation we can't do even if you throw us in the fire we will still worship our king. We won't bow down to that image. So in this case they stood with a submissive heart to the king but they did not obey him. Peter and John were told not to preach in the name of Jesus in the book of Acts uh, and, they, and they were rebuked strongly by the authorities. And they said look we understand your point but if it's to obey man or to obey God we're going to obey God in this case. And they went back and they prayed for boldness not to be uh, delivered from the, the authorities but they could go out and preach the word. They were focused on their responsibility and the authority that they had to carry it out which was to birth the church in, the, uh, in their region. So it's important to recognize that your submission is absolute. That's why it doesn't matter if the one in authority is right or wrong. You have an hard attitude toward that. You know, uh, and, and I'm a man, I know this sounds funny, but husbands are to submit to, or wives are to submit to their husbands, right? I mean, he's the head of the house. Why is he the head of the house? Because he has a spiritual obligation to be the priest of his home. He's got a responsibility. So therefore, he's given the authority as the head of the house and wives are are required to submit to their husbands and their husbands are required to love their wives as Christ loved the church. In that beautiful, perfect relationship, Christ laid down his life for his church. We husbands lay down our lives for our wives and then there's no issue with submission. But if the husband is not loving you the way he should be or the way you think he should be, your submission to that man is still absolute. You have a hard attitude toward him. You recognize the authority that God intended even if it's not being carried out and your hard attitude can oftentimes win him over in time. Uh, So you maintain that attitude of love and submission toward him. Now, if he starts to ask you to do things that violate the word of God, then you have to make a decision. But that's a choice that you make and that's a hard choice to make, I recognize Um, I don't really have time to go down that trail. Okay, so obedience is a matter of action. Another point where you may not choose to act is if they're asking you to do something that puts somebody in danger. You know, like, I want you to run that lathe, but take away the safety guards, right, so you can get it done faster. Well, that would violate OSHA's requirements and other things, but more importantly, you might lose your fingers, right? So if it's a safety issue, you need to respectfully say, I understand uh, you're the boss, but I, I, I don't think this is right because I'm concerned for my safety. There are times when it's okay not to obey. Um, but by and large, conflict comes when, well, I don't know where the time goes. Conflict comes not because you are being asked to violate a command of God. Your struggle with authority is not because they're being, you're being asked to violate something that you know is dead wrong in the eyes of God. Your struggle with authority is because you're being asked to something you don't want to do. And then your mind kicks in and says, well, somewhere there's a scripture that says. (laughs) You try to justify, get all spiritual, whatever. But your struggle with authority is because you just don't want to do it. But we need to change that attitude around. Because... One of the ways that our light will shine on the earth is that we will look different than everyone else. When everyone else is mourning and complaining about the boss and what a challenge they are at work, you're not entering that conversation. You're saying, they probably have a tough job or maybe they had a hard day, but you know what, I'm glad to have a job today and I'm going to do it with the best of my ability. You don't go down that trail. Oh, come on, don't you think they were acting like a jerk in that meeting the other day? You know, I understand why you think that way, but the truth of the matter is he's the boss and, and uh, I'm happy to have my job. Deflect. You know, stand out, and eventually they'll stop trying to engage you in that conversation. And that's okay. We are to be salt and light on the earth. We're to be different. Right? So those are some ways that we can be different is just by having a hard attitude to submission no matter where we find authority on the earth. All right. Uh, where are we with time we are time to ask you one more very important question and then we will have to close this is a very important question there's an accountability that comes as a result of your sin there will be a judgment as a result of what you did wrong wait a minute brother Gordon How do you, you don't even know me I didn't do nothing wrong Well, you just lied right there, if that's what you said in your heart. (laughs) But even if you think by your life you were completely righteous, you weren't compared to the righteousness of God. You were born under the sway of the wicked one. You had no choice in that. You were already born with a sin nature. And in order to change your nature, you need to receive Jesus as Lord. You must be born again. That's the only way. Jesus is the only way. But it's easy. The first thing you need to do is acknowledge you're a sinner. The next thing you need to do is recognize that Jesus was died, his blood was shed, he paid the price, and now he's raised from the dead. And the third thing you need to do is confess him as Lord. God, I know I can't be holy and righteous, but with you I can be. If you've never done that, if you've never made that decision, if you've never...